You know, life is full of contrast. It's full of opposites or differences or disparities, however you want to put it. But when I think about our city, Atlantic City, um, Atlantic City is very much so a place of contrast. Things are very different from one another. And as I, I went up and down the streets when I first got there five years ago, um, and I, as I explored the city more and more, it became very evident to me that these contrasts exist. And one of the places that these contrasts exist is the gap between wealth and poverty or rich and poor. Though Atlantic City is pretty much one low-income neighborhood after another, there are pockets of wealth. And interestingly, wealth looms at an unreachable distance for a majority of the people in Atlantic City. It's clear when you go around the city and you look at these high-rising casinos with all their glitz and their glamour, and then you go back into the neighborhoods that are in Atlantic City and it's totally different. One of the places that this contrast is the most clear to me was when I visited one of our Bible club locations that your church has been to back in back Maryland. It's one of the worst parts of Atlantic City. It's probably one of the most impoverished, one of the most uh, crime-ridden areas. And yet, as I was there at one point, uh, overlooking that neighborhood is one of the nicest casinos in Atlantic City called the Borgata. And I wondered, how often do these... Or do uh, people come out of their, their houses or their apartments there and see that and think about this contrast? Or do they not even notice that it's there anymore? But to me as an outsider coming in, it was clear as day. This beautiful casino overshadowing by a project in Atlantic City. The contrast was stark and clear. But not only in Atlantic City are there contrasts between rich and poor, we have contrasts ethnically and culturally, linguistically, even religiously. It's one of the biggest uh, areas uh, that I've ever been in that's had a great Muslim population and is evident in the city itself. But life is full of contrast. And in a similar way, uh, in our passage here today, we're going to learn that the Christian life is full of contrast as well. And we see these contrasts between the old and the new or the dark and the light, foolishness and wisdom. But Paul wants us to know as Christians, we live in a world full of contrast. And we have to learn how to navigate around those contrasts as Christians. So this morning we're going to see that because we are children of the light, by God's sheer grace and his mercy alone, we should live our lives in the light as he is in the light and to walk in his wisdom. And with that in mind, let's turn our attention to our first point here, which is walking in Christ's light. You guys have been going along in the book of Ephesians and in the very beginning of chapter five, you hear this exhortation. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Be imitators of God as beloved children. Now remember, brothers and sisters, the way that we become beloved children is not by our imitation. What do I mean by that? We become children of, of, God, of the light and children of God by his grace and by his mercy, by faith. But now as that, we go and live that out, walk it out in our real time and real world as children of the light, by his help and by his grace. So here Paul gives us three ways that we are to be imitators of God. The first is to walk in light, or sorry, to walk in love, as you've already seen before. But the next two we'll look at today, which is walking in Christ's light and walking in the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. 
So look with me at verse 8 once again. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. So from the very outset of this text, we are to be reminded of who we were apart from Christ. We didn't only walk in darkness, we were darkness. Notice that. We not only did bad things, but we were bad in our very nature. We loved bad. We loved the darkness. Like bats who love the darkness, it was our home. It was where we thrived. It was where we invented new ways of evil, as the Bible talks about. That was our world. That was the way that we lived. But not anymore, because we have seen the light, Jesus Christ. And his light has shone upon us and changed us in the most magnificent way. And so here we see this first contrast between light and dark. If you're a Christian today, you are light in the Lord. That's who you are. Because for some reason, in God's infinite mercy, in his infinite grace, he chose to show his marvelous light in your life. And we don't know why he chose to do that in us. It should just lead us to praise and worship now and forevermore that he chose to show that light into our lives of darkness. But now we must ask the question, how, how do we walk it out? How do we live in this light? What does it look like for us to live in the light? It's not always an easy question for us to answer. I remember as a young college student wrestling through this question. What does God want for my life? What does he want from me? Now, surely there are things that we know are clear and evident, like, you know, I, I know he doesn't want me to murder. I know he doesn't want me to tell lies. I know he doesn't want me to do some of the other Ten Commandments. But what about things like, what does he want me to study in college? What does he want me to do as a job when I get out? Who does he want me to marry? How do I reach out to a world of darkness and yet not sell out to the darkness and become of the darkness? All kind of questions as a young college student were stirring in my mind. How do I discern what is good and true? And yet that is the call here in verse 10. Try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. The word here has the idea of, of testing of metals so that you can discover by examination. See, sometimes figuring out God's will, a lot of times, is a process. We seek God's word and his counsel. We go to other older, wiser Christians who have been walking with God maybe a little bit longer than us and say, hey, what do you think about this particular situation? And then we have to make a decision of faith and walk out in it. And sometimes we get it wrong, right? Sometimes we walk in God's ways and sometimes we don't. And yet there are other times in the Bible that God is very clear about what his will is, what he wants from us. And thankfully, here in verses 11 through 14 is an example. Verse 11 says this, Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. So here we're given two clear commands from God. And the first here is not to walk in darkness. That may seem like a no-brainer, but for Christians we need to be reminded of that. Because constantly we are called to flirt with the darkness. We are tempted to stray from the light-driven path and to go on to the darkness, saying, come and find life over here. Maybe we look at the darkness and we say, even as Christians, it seems more interesting, it seems more exciting, more life-giving than what I'm experiencing here in this so-called well-lit path. And yet God reminds us here. He says to us, my child, life is found in the light. 
Life is found in the light. Don't listen to the darkness anymore. Not only that, but one of light's jobs is to expose what is in the darkness, to light up what is dark. I don't know if you guys have ever been in a dark room before, or maybe you've been camping uh, where there are no street lights anywhere and uh, you can't barely see your hand in front of you. But when you flip on the light switch or you start the fire, all of a sudden the darkness scatters and everything is well lit. It's exposed. It's visible before you. You see what's in the room. You see what's around you. That's what light does. It exposes what's in right in front of you. And as children of the light, those who have the light of Christ in them, we are called not only to walk in dark, not walk in darkness anymore, but to expose darkness wherever we find it. And this word expose, it carries the idea of correcting or convincing somebody. Think about this. Sometimes light's job is kind of awkward. Sometimes it's kind of convicting, maybe even painful. You don't know what's going to happen when you flip on the lights. You don't know what you're going to find. Sometimes you don't like what you find when you flip on the lights. It may be something shameful like Paul speaks about. He says sometimes it's even too shameful to speak about the things that unbelievers do in secret, in the hidden, in the dark. It's best not to talk about it sometimes. One person says what has been done in the dark is best kept in the dark, in general, as a principle. But that's what the light does. And now that you and I are in the light, we let our light shine. And as we let our light shine, what it does is it exposes the darkness around us. And sometimes it's not pretty. But our job remains the same, that wherever we go, we are to let our light shine in a dark world. That's what you and I are called to do as believers. But sometimes it's awkward. As a pastor, I've been here plenty of times. When I, sometimes when I go hang out with guys, I hang out with a lot of unbelievers in our city. And um, they don't know who I am. And uh, sometimes when I get around them, they're, you know, laughing it up. They're cursing. They're telling all kind of crude jokes, whatever. And inevitably, what comes up? What question do they ask me? So what do you do for a living? Right. And so and I have to say kind of awkwardly, well, I'm a pastor. And then all of a sudden everything changes. Right. They're like, oh, so I'm so sorry. I shouldn't have said what I said. Uh, I usually don't talk like this, you know, whatever it may be. Right. They try to change everything because what happens? They're convicted by the light. Nothing special in me, but there's light inside of me because of Christ. And all of a sudden they feel convicted, awkward, exposed. And yet that's what the light is called to do. The light exposes here in verses 13 and 14 what's truly there so that it becomes visible. But notice also what the light does. The light exposes the darkness, but it doesn't just expose it to show what is shameful, but it, it invites the darkness into the light. That's one of the great privileges of being the light of Christ, that we get to invite others who are in the dark into the light. So yes, we are to expose darkness, whether it comes in the form of of injustice or racism or classism, whatever type of evil it may be. But the best part of the hope of the light is that we get to invite other people into the light itself as we shine. Recently, I was recommended a biography, and the biography is the story of Mitsu Fuchida, the lead pilot for Japan on the attack of Pearl Harbor. He was one of the, the masterminds and, and uh, 
most influential fighters in the attack on Pearl Harbor and many of the other things that happened in World War II in the Pacific theater. But after the war, he encountered Christianity kind of unexpectedly. He had a POW friend that came back from the POW in, or the prison camp in America. He expected the prisoner, who was his friend, to have been treated very badly. And yet what he was told about his captors actually shocked him. He met a Christian, and this Christian began to show him love and kindness, even though he was an enemy. Love and kindness that he did not expect that from his cultural point of view, you don't do to an enemy. And yet the light of Christ was shining so uh, clearly inside of him, or, or in her, that he saw something different. So he began to investigate the claims of Christ and of Christianity. He ended up being a worldwide evangelist. The guy who led the attack on Pearl Harbor now becomes a worldwide evangelist for Jesus. Amazing. But notice what happened here. How did this person who was in darkness come to the light? He came to the light via another light. That, that, that Christian, whoever she was, that showed that kindness to him, God used that to help bring this person into the light. I wonder if today God would use some of us. I know he wants to use some of us to bring those who are in darkness into the light. What a privilege we have as believers to let our light shine. Not in a prideful way, but just let it, let it shine and let God do his work and invite other people into this marvelous light. But as much as this applies to the unbeliever, it also applies to the believer. Remember, in the book of Ephesians, Paul is writing to a Christian church. And as he writes to this Christian church, he has the church in mind. One commentator says, he puts it this way, that the Christian, instead of any longer taking part in the unfruitful works of darkness, he should emerge completely from his sleep and arise and withdraw in every respect from the wicked ways of the company of the spiritually dead. The blessed result will be that Christ will shine upon him. So the question for you and I is, where is God's light shining on us today? What is he exposing in us? Where are the places that we are flirting with the darkness, that we are tempted to stray from the straight and narrow path that is well lit by God's word? Where do we need to be corrected? Where do we need to be exposed and come and experience the gospel afresh and anew? It's good for us to wrestle with that. But as we turn to the second half of our passage here in verses 15 through 21, Paul gives us our second exhortation, which is to walk in the Holy Spirit's wisdom. Walk in the Holy Spirit's wisdom. So in the first half of our text, our contrast was between light and dark. Now we're turning to a contrast of wisdom and folly. Wisdom and folly. So as Christians, we understand that we are to know God's wisdom and walk it out in our lives. Verse 15. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. I remember as a young college student uh, memorizing this verse. The guys that were discipling me in my college ministry said, hey, here's a good verse as far as time management goes for a Christian. Why don't you memorize this and begin to put it into practice? And it was a great verse to understand how to use our time. See, remember, wisdom in the Bible is not just thinking rightly. 
It's thinking rightly that is applied in our daily lives. So it has to hit the ground as it were. And one of the biggest areas we need God's wisdom is the use of our time. How do we use our time? Do we use it to glorify God or to do the opposite? Another lesson I learned similarly when I was in college was that the uh, unplanned time flows to areas of weakness. What do I mean by this? Uh, well, the guys discipling me was, was, would kind of say, hey, let's make sure you have an intentional plan for your time so that you're using it according to God and his plans. Because a lot of times what we do if we don't plan out our time is that it flows to our areas of sin and temptation, right? Or maybe even just laziness. If I didn't end up planning my time, I'd probably spend it on worthless things. I'd play more video games. I'd go hang out more aimlessly with my friends, whatever it may be. But walking wisely and making the most of every opportunity is the call for Christians. And so the question for you and I that we should be continually asked ourselves is, what am I about to do is the best use of the time that God has given me? Is what I'm about to engage in the best use of the time that God has given me? I feel if we, if we ask that question time and time again, we would use our time very differently. And again, Paul, as he answers this question for us, he gives us some concrete examples. Verse 21 or 18 to 21 are exactly that. He says, first and foremost, we must be filled with the Spirit, as Pastor Chris mentioned earlier. Paul says, in contrast to getting drunk or overfilled with wine or really anything else for that matter, we are to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So when a person becomes a Christian, they are filled. They are indwelled with the Holy Spirit. So much so to the point that we cannot lose the Holy Spirit. We're all sealed up, as it were. He never leaves us. And yet there's also a sense in which we must be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. We must not quench the Holy Spirit, we know from other parts of the Bible, but we must let him fill us over and over and over again. And this is not some uh, second special filling as some talk about, but in every day, every moment by moment, being filled with the Holy Spirit so that it transforms us to walk out in the light and to walk in God's wisdom. And what does that look like? Well, he tells us here in verses 19 through 21. The Spirit-filled life can be seen in how we encourage and edify one another with our singing, for example. When we come together and as we sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to one another, we encourage each other. The truth gets in us and works itself in the very fabric of our lives and out in what we do in our daily life. Also, it looks like us continually and in every situation giving thanks. Verse 20, having a thankful heart instead of a deserving mentality. How often I'm guilty of a deserving mentality. It's also seen in our mutual submission to one another out of a reverence for Christ. It's saying that I'm not better than you, you're not better than me, but I'm putting your needs above my own. I'm going to serve instead of being served, just like Jesus. This is what the Spirit-filled life looks like as we practice it in the church. This is what it means to walk in godly wisdom, just like we're called here in Ephesians 5. Well, as we begin to come to a close, I want to speak here for a moment to people who might feel like they're fumbling around in the darkness. Earlier on in our passage, we talked about this contrast between the light and the dark. It got me thinking. 
that as a young dad, um, I have kids and uh, my kids mess up my house. Okay, my house gets very messy. And sometimes, a lot of times, we're not very motivated to clean it, okay? Because we know the mess is just going to come back the very next day. And yet, when it's time for me to go to bed and I turn off all the lights, I begin to stumble around on different things. Toys, my, my least favorite is the plastic army men that my son leaves around everywhere. And uh, stepping on those things without shoes hurts like crazy. And yet, it would be kind of pointless for me if I decided to try and clean things up in the dark, wouldn't it? But as I come down in the morning, as I turn on the lights, or as the sun rises, the light begins to expose what was truly there. And at first it gets overwhelming because you see the mess before you and you're like, there's no way I'm ever going to be able to clean this up. No way I'm ever going to be able to make a dent in this. But after surveying it for a while, you begin to start to take one thing, put it away, another thing, and then all of a sudden you're able to clean it up. And I was thinking that life is a lot like that. When we are fumbling around in the dark, it can seem disorienting. It can seem discouraging, even painful at times. And yet, as we've been reminded today, we don't have to stay in the darkness. We don't have to stay in that darkness that we were once living in. Some of us have always lived in the darkness. You would say probably, you know what, I'm here, I'm investigating, I'm learning about Christianity, but I'm not a believer. And I'm glad you're here this morning. My question for you is, aren't you tired of living in the darkness, fumbling around, trying to figure life out by yourself? The light is calling you. Verse 14 is clear here. Awake, O sleeper, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. There is an opportunity here for you this morning to come into the light, to understand what life truly is. The life that God intended for you. And yet, even if it's not your first time here or your first time experiencing the light, the application is the same. To live in the light, to walk in the light, even as Christians, to come more fully into the light so that we might experience the life that God has given us, that he has saved us for, he has saved us unto. What a beautiful opportunity it is for us every morning to wake up and to realize that we are not only walking in the light, but we are light itself in Christ. And more and more so, we can walk in that life that he always intended for you and for me. So my encouragement to us this morning is to let the light of Christ shine upon you. It can be as simple as asking God, please shine your light upon me. I don't know how I need it. I don't know why I need it or in what ways I need it. But I need your light to shine upon me. And he will. He will do it. He delights in that. And then we will experience life to the full. Life as God intended it. Life as walking in the freedom of the gospel. And it is a beautiful life that we get to live. That we've been studying here all along in the book of Ephesians. 